so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Nola wafers are my snack of choice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I love Anyways, it. I was snacking before we started. Yeah. Not generic, the real kind. Oh no. If you get generic, yeah. it's it, they're, they're not just good. not good. No. Mm-hmm. Same with same with graham crackers. You have to get that. And the, um Pop Tarts. Oh I, for sure. My mom bought off brand Pop Tarts one times and she was like, We're not doing this again. No. These are bad. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week is our very special guest, my coworker and friend in DC, Hannah Daniel. How's it going, Hannah? Good. I've been enjoying um, the great weather that DC's been having lately. It's just super beautiful here in the fall. So I've um, really been enjoying it lately and I'm glad to be with you today. I've heard you've been enjoying the rats in DC lately too. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, DC has quite the rat problem and it has gotten particularly worse lately. And Every time I go to take out my trash, one of my roommates looks out kind of over this like balcony fire escape that overlooks where the dumpsters are. And she's on the lookout um, looking to see if there are any rats while I go and take out the trash. So it's uh, it's not great, but we're, Ugh, we're making it. That is it. so disgusting. That is so disgusting. Well, I'm glad that you are in a rat-free environment right now in your studio. We are remote and we should let listeners know that Brent, our Fearless president is out visiting state conventions this week, and Hannah was just the perfect choice to fill in because we're going to talk about leading up to the midterms that are next week on November 8th. Hannah's going to help us think about that and talk a little bit about what we're watching for. Also, I should let you know, you should be glad this is not in person and it's remote because people on our team have been sick. Everybody's fallen. So... Everybody put on your masks if you don't want to get sick (laughs) this winter because I have a feeling it is going to be brutal. But let's go ahead and talk about what's been happening lately and what the ERLC has been featuring. I have two pieces that I want to share. And this week on our site, especially with our content, what we want to do is provide uh, helpful resources in leading up to these midterms, like I mentioned and talk about the way that Christians are called to distinctly engage in the public square. And we actually dedicated a whole issue of our Light magazine, which comes out twice a year, to this issue. It's called Salt and Light in the Public Square, and you can find it at erlc.com backslash light. But we want to share two of those pieces from that magazine, and they are really helpful. The first, I actually had the chance to interview Alex Harris. He's an attorney, and he was a clerk 
at the Supreme Court. And the Harris last name might sound familiar to you because Alex Harris is, uh, well, his brother is Joshua Harris. And Alex is a faithful believer, and he's really making a difference in the area where he's located. And the title of this interview that I did with him is called Seeking the Welfare of the City, an interview about why Christians should be active in the public square. And I really wanted to read a little excerpt from it. I thought it was just so helpful, especially as we're talking about politics and leading up to the midterms in the midst of such a divided and partisan age. So I had the chance to ask him, why should Christians care about what goes on in politics and how can we think rightly about it? And Alex said, we should care because politics, broadly defined, is one primary mechanism through which we love our neighbor. We cannot be indifferent to politics because it touches every aspect of our lives, our families, our churches, our communities, on issues ranging from education, housing, and criminal justice to immigration and religious liberty. At the same time, politics is not everything. We think rightly about it by engaging in politics to love our neighbor and advance the gospel, all while recognizing that this world is not our home and that our hope is in Christ, not policies, politicians, or parties. In a sense, a believer's posture toward politics is just one expression of our posture toward the world in general. He goes on to give some scriptural examples. And I think Alex's comments here are just right on the money. And as believers, we would do well to remember this and ask the Lord to give us this mindset and apply His Word to our hearts so that we wouldn't act like the world when it comes to politics, which sadly, especially on social media, we have been. We claim Christ and we we are filled with malice and hatred and anger online and in the political world, and that is not the way that it should be. So I'd encourage you to check out that article. The second article is by John Kelly, a pastor in Chicago, and it's titled, Be Surgeons, Not Butchers, How We Share Truth in the Public Square Matters. And he uses this surgeons and butchers metaphor to describe how we can use our words. So do we use our words to bring healing like surgeons do? Sometimes they they cut away and they can hurt, but they're for the good of, of people and they're to bring about a better outcome. Or we can be like butchers who chop things up and do not bring about healing. Too often we have been like butchers. And John in this article shares a couple of principles, and they are that the Word of God guides us. Loving our neighbors means desiring their best. How you communicate matters just as much as what you communicate, and we are citizens of the kingdom. And he says this in the midst of that heading of we are citizens of the kingdom. Why would anyone want to listen to the gospel message of Christ from Christians who are just as divided as the unbelievers they preach to? Why be part of a group of Christians that can't see beyond this world and rarely pursue unity? Jesus said that people would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another, not simply who we vote for or align with. And that'll that'll preach in today's today's society. And I'm thankful for pastors like John Kelly, who are a sound and a reasonable voice shaped by God's Word in the midst of this divided age. No, I think that's so helpful. And and both of these pieces just really speak to this idea that politics, they do matter because it, it is a key way that we're able to care for the people in our community, um, the people that we live near, um, the ways that we're able to seek out justice for the vulnerable. 
politics is, is an important way that we can do that, but sometimes we can can get into this mindset where politics becomes the only way to do that or the ultimate, almost an, an idol for us. And that's when when politics becomes disordered, we are are then slipping into these times where we are not speaking kindly to one another. And we think that if our quote unquote team or side doesn't win in an election, that, you know, it's the end of the world. And so for us as Christians, it's so important for us to to keep this in the right perspective. And I think both of these pieces do a really good job of of helping us think through how we can do that well. How can we both engaged in the, the public square as a way to love our neighbor and as a way to serve the Lord, but not letting that become the ultimate end all be all. That's so true, Hannah. And you know, as I think about it, it's it's freeing when nothing else is the end all be all, when only Christ is the end all be all, because everything else will disappoint. And it's not fun to see our idols and to have them pointed out. And of course, I think it, it could have been Tim Keller or somebody else that said, you'll know an idol, that something's an idol in your life based on how you react when you don't get it or you lose it or something like that. And of course, it, politics has been shown to be an idol in many believers' lives in this day and age. And I understand wanting to grasp for things that provide world, that we think as an illusion provide worldly security but ultimately those things just will not satisfy. Only Christ will never let us down. In this world, we will have trouble. We've been prepared for this and told this. Of course, in our flesh, we don't want to see trouble. Nobody wants to, but Christ has overcome the world and he's the only one uh, that we should put our ultimate hope in. And I'm really saying that to myself because I I need the Spirit's help to believe that and to live that out. We have several other articles featured on our site that I think will help prepare your heart as we lead into midterms. But for now, Hannah, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. And now it's time for our culture section. Hannah, why don't you help us think through midterms coming up and some of those implications for us? And for those of, of our listeners who are like me, who they might not be, but explain to me, what are the midterms? And then after we talk about that, what is expected to happen? Yeah, so... um The midterms happen every, well, we have elections every two years, but the midterms are the elections that happen in between presidential elections. And so in these elections, typically you have governors on the ballot in some states, all House members are up for re-election every two years, and then a third of the Senate is up for re-election every two years. Um, And normally midterms are really a a referendum on the party in power. So for the past two years, we've had a Democratic-controlled House and Senate, as well as obviously Democratic President Joe Biden in the White House. And so generally, um, the normal consensus is that Democrats are likely to lose some seats in the House and Senate in these elections. That would be a historical norm. And really, it's been interesting to see this these campaigns play out over the past few months. And Democrats have really leaned into abortion access in the wake of the Dobbs decision from this summer. And they have really campaigned on trying to expand access to abortion where it's restricted and trying to tell voters that a woman's right to choose is what's on the ballot. 
in November. And on the the opposite side of that, uh, Republicans have really been focusing on issues of inflation and crime. And they really have leaned into those economic issues. And it seems that voters are resonating a bit more with Republicans' message on economic issues. And it seems to be... um, well, we, we won't know until election day. It does seem that things are trending towards Republicans taking over the House and the Senate is a, is a bit closer, but maybe is leaning that direction as well. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens once the election is over. Also, in several states, there are ballot initiatives going on, which is where voters are casting a ballot not just in support of a candidate, but actually taking a position on a particular issue. So in five states, there are abortion-related issues on the ballot that voters can vote directly on saying, yes, we want to expand abortion access or no, we want to um, remove this from our state. And so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. There's also a vote in Arkansas on adding the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to their state constitution. Um, Brent actually has a great op-ed in the paper in Arkansas that has come out explaining why that is something that is good and that Arkansas voters should support. But yeah, there's there's a lot to be determined um, in the next week. And so we'll be really closely watching to see what happens and ultimately how that will shape what we're doing here in D.C. in the days to come. Hannah, Brent and I talked about this a little bit in a past episode, but was it a couple weeks ago or a week ago or something, President Biden had said if Democrats retain control of the Congress, then he will make nationwide legality of abortion, his main goal. And then we talked about the fact that it seems to be a bit tone deaf right now that that Democrats are focusing on abortion when we are facing so much inflation. Polling is showing that Democrats are losing support. Is that what people in D.C. have been talking about? Is that kind of what you are hearing among people that you're talking to in D.C.? Yeah, I, I, I'm no uh, political strategist, but it does not make a lot of sense to me that President Biden and Democrats broadly have really focused in on this message and priority of abortion. Abortion is something that is deeply divisive to the American public and is not something that a majority of Americans support expanding. And so it's, like you said, it's it's a bit tone deaf to the real pressures that people are feeling when it comes to inflation and people are going to the grocery store and it's costing um, so much more to get the things that they need. It does seem that Republicans have been more successful at speaking to voters um, where they're at. And for a lot of people who don't follow politics closely, you know, they don't have time to read and think about what is abortion access look like in my state. Or um, another message that Democrats have focused on is um, kind of protecting democracy from things like what we saw on January the 6th. And, you know, while that's certainly important, it's not something that is impacting people day to day. And so, I think that for most voters, they will be probably voting on their pocketbooks and on what is is affecting their day-to-day lives and having the biggest impact on their families and their communities. Yeah, the, the 
front and center messaging of abortion, the hand-wringing over abortion after Rose Fall isn't a surprise, but as we've been talking about idols, it really does show what an idol it is within our country. And of course, spiritually, we know it's a matter of spiritual warfare and a stronghold in the hearts of so many that we continue to pray that the Lord would advance a culture of life. And of course, that's what we're working on and praying toward here at the ERLC. Uh, Speaking of inflation and grocery store and cost of groceries, we went because our family has been a little bit sick. My husband had to pick up Sprite. And uh, he said, I don't know if he got a 12-pack or a 24-pack, but it was $9. We're like, man, groceries have gotten so expensive. And I cannot imagine families who do not have the resources to be able to buy the things that they need. And that's a very real issue that so many are feeling right now. So it will be interesting to see what happens in these midterms. What do you anticipate happening in D.C. after the midterms? Yeah, so Congress will will come back. They've been in quite a long recess as they've been at home campaigning. But after the midterms are over, they will come back and have a pretty lengthy to-do list once they get back before the end of the year and the holidays. So there are a number of things that they have said that they plan to do once they come back. One of those being uh, taking up the Respect for Marriage Act in the Senate. We've talked about this before, but this is the bill that would codify the legality of same-sex marriages into law. And the URLC is opposed to this legislation. It has really significant religious liberty impacts and will be certainly advocating against that in the Senate once they return. But they also are coming back with two bills that they must pass before the end of the year. One is our national defense spending bill. Um, And the other is the budget for fiscal year 2023. Congress passed a what's called a continuing resolution to temporarily fund the government through December 16th. But after that, um, we would be in a situation where the government would shut down if there's not funding passed beyond that. And so this is something that we really expect to be largely determined by what happens in the midterms. If Republicans gain control, they may want to not pass an appropriations bill and wait until they have the majority. Democrats may want to push for um, an appropriations bill in this term. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. But the ERLC is always really actively involved in this appropriations process. We'll be advocating for the inclusion of pro-life and conscience protection writers, as well as other protections for life and religious liberty among all of the allocations And then it's also an opportunity for other bills that we've been working on to potentially move through. The session is called a lame duck session. Lindsay and I have been trying to figure out why it's called that, but (laughs) we haven't been successful yet. (laughs) Um, But it really is a unique opportunity for some of the things that we've been advocating for to have a real chance of passage. Things can get bogged down in all of the congressional processes and the lame duck session is a unique kind of window of time where members of Congress who are retiring or who did not win re-election actually get to come back and vote without then refacing their their voters. And so it sometimes allows members to take votes of conscience, if you will, that they might not take in other times. And so it, it kind of provides an interesting little window of time where things that don't feel possible 
um, in the run-up to an election um, suddenly become on the table. And so it'll be really interesting to see what ultimately is prioritized, what's able to find bipartisan support and get across the finish line. But we are expecting a, a busy next couple of months and we'll be really engaged in all of these conversations and and advocating and, and sharing the concerns of Southern Baptists with our lawmakers, hoping to really make sure that the laws that are passed are protecting life, protecting religious liberty, advancing justice for the vulnerable, and all of those types of things. I know I work at the ERLC, but it makes me thankful that Southern Baptists and Christians have an organization like the ERLC actively advocating on and engaging on the Hill, watching these things, um, having the expertise and people like you, Hannah, and Brent and others, not me per se, uh, but to understand these things and their implications for life, but also how God's word bears on us and compels us to engage in many of these issues. So I'm so thankful for that. The last thing that I want to talk to you about as we're talking about midterms is something that seems like it's not related, but it is related because of, especially surrounding the culture of politics and even relationships and civil discourse these days, but that's the Pelosi attack. So can you just summarize exactly what happened and then explain how you think that this is related to midterms, but really the political climate that we're in. Yeah. So basically what happened is a man broke into the Pelosi's home, which Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. She is uh, third in the line of secession to be president. Um, she's a very important figure. And a man broke into their home in California and um Speaker Pelosi was not there. She was in Washington, D.C. at the time, but her husband, Paul Pelosi, was there and the attacker broke in, went into the bedroom where Mr. Pelosi was sleeping and he woke up and saw the man standing over him and he was yelling, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? And thankfully, Paul Pelosi was able to get into the bathroom and call for help. He called 911 and they were able to send police. But in the meantime, as they were arriving onto the scene, the attacker, he and Mr. Pelosi were struggling over a hammer that the attacker had brought with him. And he ultimately um, hit him forcefully in the head. And he has since, um, he still is in the hospital, has had surgery on his head from that. And when this man was taken into custody, he said that he was planning to tie up Mr. Pelosi and wait for Speaker Pelosi to get home. And he was going to make her tell him the truth about a number of conspiracies that he had believed. And if she refused to tell him the truth, he was planning to break her kneecaps as a statement to other lawmakers. And it really is just such a a disturbing incident. And it's one that truthfully... I think for other members of Congress, for their staff, for even for those of us here living in D.C. just as residents, um, is something that feels a little too familiar. Um, political violence is something that we've seen just more and more of in our country as rhetoric has 
really has surged. And as we are just continuing to see people, as we talked about earlier, believe that politics is the end-all be-all and buy into often conspiracies and feel that it is their right and their duty to, to pursue what they believe is right through violence. And it really has spurred a lot of concerns from lawmakers about their security and safety. And um, it really is just so disturbing as we are headed into the midterms. And I think, like you were saying, this really does connect into this larger conversation about our political discourse and how we speak to each other in the public square. Our words matter and they have consequences. And when we are not willing to share the truth and we are we are helping to foster misinformation and conspiracies, these have real world effects. We are not just speaking into a vacuum. And it's sad that this is the ultimate impact of those words and of those conspiracies. It's leading to violence against people who are, um, yes, important in DC, but ultimately made in the image of God. And, you know, we... We can disagree with Speaker Pelosi about a lot of things. We can disagree with President Biden. We can disagree with with anybody. But still, at the end of the day, they are made in the image of God, and we should respect them as such. And political violence should never be something that we, as Americans, or especially us as Christians, are ever considering. It is something that is never acceptable in our society, and we should should call it out and we should work against it in in every way that we can. That's helpful, Hannah. And of course, we know it's happening on both sides of the political aisle, but you just I feel like January 6th is one of the major examples of this, like it where everything just reached ahead. We recently had Hunter Baker who is at Union University, uh, write an article for us about why Christians should never resort to political violence because of other other instances of violence we've seen. And he's a part of this organization called Braver Angels, where people from varying ideologies, Democrats, Republicans, come together and respectfully have discourse with one another. Uh, But he says this, he says, instead as a country, we've become comfortable dismissing entire groups of people. Worse, rather than merely dismissing them, we're building them up into demonic figures. The truth is that human beings are those made in God's image, just like you said, Hannah, who are afflicted with sin rather than demons. The appropriate spirit to take toward them is one of sympathy and patience rather than war. This phenomenon of demonization has unfortunately reached virtually every part of the American political community and into many churches. And then he goes on to talk about how, in contrast, as Christians, we serve the Lord of the Beatitudes, where Jesus embodies and lives out and praises meekness and mercy and long-suffering. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation, and he tells us to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies. And I feel like the church today, you know, even myself, I need to repent and ask the Lord to work those beatitudes in me and out of me rather than me being conformed to the culture and talking in a way that unfortunately is praised by the church as well. So let this be a lesson to us and, um, you know, may the Lord make us different. And there's one more fun thing that I want to talk about, Hannah, because we've been ending with a pretty much useless but fun thing. Uh, And I was trying to think what it was going to be, but then I realized I know what it should be because this will directly affect some of our ERLC colleagues. 
So college football, you know, is happening. Are you a college football fan, Hannah? You know, I always grew up watching it. I grew up in Tennessee and we always had SEC football, you know, on on Saturdays. I love football snacks. It feels very much so like at home for me to have football on, but we never really Mm -hmm. had like a team growing up, if that makes sense. So I really enjoy watching football. I watch it with my friends all the time, but I'm not a like diehard fan. Right. But you enjoy it. Yeah. Right. I enjoy it too. I'm a Gator. I feel like I used to be more of a diehard fan, though I could never spout off the statistics, but I'm, I'm not married to a football fan. So it's kind of nice to not have it take over your life. I always have it on in the background though. But we have many colleagues who are Tennessee Vols fans. And I will have to say, they're not here to defend themselves. They're some of the most annoying fans I have encountered in my (laughs) college football (laughs) lifetime, especially when they were bad. But now they're actually good. And they're number one for the first time in 1998. (gasps) No, y'all, I just feel so old because (laughs) they are number one. We just found out. Uh, because our audio producer broke the fourth wall or dimension or whatever it's called and told us that they're number one <laughs> since 1998. And that's the year that Hannah was born. Oh my word. I'm not even going to tell you how old I was at that time. Uh, so everyone's excited and they're playing Georgia, who was just number one, right? So I guess Georgia's at number one now. They're, they're maybe I think they're two. number two. Okay. Yeah. I don't follow it. I think I Georgia... Don't. Well, Hannah, we just had an education, again, by our audio audio producer about (laughs) the different uh, ranking systems, how they're a couple number one people and different charts or whatever they're called. So Tennessee's number one somewhere, Georgia's number one somewhere, number three somewhere. I don't remember. But anyway, I think I heard that Georgia's favored to win. But as we know, nothing goes as planned. And that's why college football is so much fun. That Tennessee-Alabama game was bananas and it was so Mm -hmm. good so let's just hope for a good good game but I don't know if we'll have to cancel our next podcast episode if they lose because I don't know if (laughs) Brent will be able to pull himself out of his funk he tells me that 18 year olds do not control his emotions anymore you know I heard him say that but then it it seemed like as he kept talking that that maybe was not true (laughs) Yes, based on how we heard he did some victory dances at his house after mm-hmm. they won. Mm-hmm. None of us have gotten to see. So hopefully we can <laughs> can uh, gain access to those and then we can just post them on the interwebs. Hannah, I'm so glad that you joined me today. Thank you for giving us an education. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for being so much more pleasant of a host than Brent. I really appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.